On 1116 SEN, the Four Diego's. G'day amigos and welcome to the Four Diego's here in 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Rodrigo Rodriguez with you and uh, thanks to Mark Fine and uh, for putting in the big ones tonight with a, a voice that was hardly there but uh, the show happened and it was good and congratulations to the GBU crew as always. Vinny Venezuela is in the house as well. G'day Rodrigo. And you too Warren Diego. Hip, look, eyes up, thanks. Yep, you're in. Hey, Warren, how are you doing? <laughs> we need to respond. <laughs> no, you don't. Because I thought you were just introducing us and then Carlos would always speak first. Yes, but now you've got to just follow my lead because I, I noticed that Carlos wasn't quite ready. But Carlos, you're in the house and welcome to the show. I am in the house and I'm glad to be here. And yeah, uh, I heard you on Monday and uh, I heard you, it was the best show out of the 21 years. Yeah, we've, uh, that's right. Your boys keep on telling me when I'm not around that they do the best show that we've ever had in the 21 years that we've been on air. Yeah, no, it was slick. <laughs> Uh, we almost yep. made sense. Yep. It was, uh, it was apparently no, no long-winded responses <laughs> no. or questions oh, either. No. no, there was a, there was a <laughs> period early in the piece. <laughs> yeah, no, someone just stood, stood in for you there, Carlos Alberto, but, uh, it's, uh, it's a big, big show tonight. Uh, we're looking to get Mike McGrath. We will get Mike McGrath from the UK, uh, in the second half hour tonight and, uh, be nice to talk about English Premier League and uh, see how Liverpool's going over there in the English <laughs> Premier League. Hey, send us a text message tonight on zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen, or give us a call nine four two nine eleven sixteen. It's always good to hear your thoughts, uh, you know, with your with your voice. It's nice to nice to get you on air. Hey, uh, guys, it's, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, and, and one of the things we really do want to talk about right from the top is it's uh, the ten year anniversary of Johnny Warren's passing and. Uh, he was a great man, very special to us, and uh, the, a- the A-League is commemorating Johnny Warren's passing in the A-League fixtures uh, this weekend. Uh, and Carlos, I'll, I'll go to you because you probably knew him the best out of all of us. Uh, what, what does the man mean to you? And, uh, and that leads into what our hot topic will be. Yeah, no, I, look, I, I, when I uh, talk about Johnny Warren these days, of course, uh, really from the days when we were doing community radio uh, back in uh, the old 3WRB days, out of the, some shack out of the West End market in Footscray uh, or in Sunshine, um, he's one guy, one so-called star and celebrity of Australian football, even back in the in the 90s, uh, that always take our phone call, always give us an interview. Didn't matter when. Uh, when we rang him, didn't matter, you know, uh, how busy he was. He always had time, not only to do our show, but to do anyone's show and talk football all the time. He was a real mouth, mouthpiece for the game. And I, I suppose one thing that tells a lot about Johnny Warren is, uh, I remember the last time we rang him, uh, for an interview, it was a, I remember it was a Wednesday. We were having a Saturday night show here at SEN, and uh, of course we would produce our own show, and uh, we'd bring up our guests during the week, and, and we thought it'd be a good time. We hadn't spoken to Johnny for a while. Let's have a chat to him for this Saturday night. So I'd rang him on the Wednesday night, and I remember him picking up the phone, and it's, it sounded like he had a flu, not yeah. unlike Finey <laughs> in oh, the previous show. No. Oh, no. But it sounded like he had a flu, and I'm, I'm saying, oh, gee, Johnny, uh, I was going to ring you up to have a chat to you whether we can organise an interview on Saturday night's show. And, but you don't sound too good, mate. He goes, no, no, I'm fine, uh, Carlos. Uh, let's uh, let's organise. Just give us a ring on the day. Give, just shoot us a text beforehand and we're right to go. 
Anyway, um, so okay, we locked him in. It was all good. And uh, of course, Rodrigo, you were hosting that night. You weren't on. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was hosting and I was preparing the show on the Saturday uh, afternoon. And I rang Michael Lynch because he was was our regular contributor back in those days. And uh, now he's moved on to bigger and better things, (laughs) of course. And and I was watching Sky News, I think it was, on on Foxtel. And uh, they were announcing the the death of Johnny Warren and... and, uh, it took me it took me about yeah. ten seconds to to realise after you know feeling a bit shocked that, yeah. that he died that oh, he's, he's supposed to be on our show tonight. That's right. Um, and so you know pretty much I I rang Mick Lynch straight away and said, "Hey mate, can we open with you today because we want to pr- pay tribute to uh, the great Johnny Warren?" It was uh, yeah panic stations from from our perspective, but devastation really that he'd passed. Yeah, it was only it was almost uh, eighteen months later where. Of course, we were all pretty shocked and saddened by the whole thing, and uh, it was really at the at the end of a long illness too. So we sort of knew it was going to happen at some stage. But he kept on doing media, kept on talking world football, kept on doing his SBS gig every week, and uh, didn't matter how crook he was, he'd keep on doing it. Anyway, about eighteen months ago, I remember having a chat with his nephew Jamie Warren, who's really he's really taken up the legacy and really doing a lot for the Johnny Warren Foundation. And he was saying to me that uh, on the Wednesday that I rang him, he was actually, and I didn't know this, he was actually in hospital in emergency, and that whole week it was touch and go whether he was going to be alive for for the rest of the week. So he actually took my call, uh, acting like he just had a flu ready to talk world football and probably knowing that his moment could have been the last one, um, you know, for the rest of that week. And uh, I think it just shows the measure of the bloke that he was willing to talk football. That's his mission. Yeah, it was. It was just, he just, you know, right to the last moment, he was willing to chat about football, always accept our call, always wants wanted to really promote the game and uh that's what really rem- uh, what I remember a lot about Johnny Warren. I remember I don't know why but I have I think that he actually called us up before the show saying he wouldn't be right to go on air that um yeah. he'd have to sort of postpone cuz he wasn't feeling 100% but he would do us the week after and then and then I think uh it all went uh, unfortunately yeah. uh, That's right. Yeah, he, he rang a few weeks. We were trying to get him on yeah, a yeah. week or two before and he, yeah. he actually postponed. Yeah, no, it's quite interesting that his anniversary is in the same week that Western Sydney Wanderers became the first Australian team to win the Asian Champions League. And the other thing I'd say, I was in a in a quiet moment today, I was listening to the memorial service, the state memorial for Gough Whitlam, and John Faulkner, who visited Gough Whitlam every week until he died, wow. said something about it's significant when a person influences a generation that's pretty significant. But when a person influences generations beyond that one generation of people, he's iconic or somebody of great significance. And I think Johnny Warren influenced the people that he played with, his generation through his philosophy, through the way he played. But the mark of a guy is he continued to influence many other generations well beyond his finishing as a player. And he will continue to be that figure that talked about what the potential of Australian football could be like, well and truly into the future, the name Johnny Warren will always be synonymous with the game. And that's that means you're iconic in terms of your influence in the game. So that's really what I would say. Look, I know uh, Les Murray recently retired um, and he and Johnny were very close and worked together for many, many years. But... Uh, Along with the work SBS did for for football in the early days, I've got to say, 
I first knew jo- of Johnny Warren because he was Captain Socceroo. I didn't even yeah. know he was a Socceroo. <laughs> I just turned on the TV one day and there's this guy giving little drills on how to, you know, I'm, I'm building your skills. And I'm thinking, oh, this is pretty cool. Soccer never gets a run on Australian TV. What's going on here? And, and I was glued to the TV for many, many years watching him do his thing. And then, you know, as I grew older, I, I worked out who he was and, and just his relevance to the game. And, and as you said, Carlos, he always had time for us and anyone else who wanted to talk about the world game. And, and he really was someone who uh, embraced the multiculturalism of the game and welcomed it. And, and that, that was a very mature position to have for, you know, I guess, I guess when you come from an ethnic background, you don't always expect to see it from those in an Anglo-Saxon background. And, and the fact that he was an Aussie bloke, talking up the world game and, and multiculturalism and, and all of that stuff, that, that had value beyond just the, the stuff of what football's about. Mm. And that, that's what was special about, about him, I think. It's funny because he was always defending the game. It uh, didn't matter who was, uh, whether it was an AFL you know, moment or which we, we've had many of those over the years where the AFL uh, you know, versus football type argument or whether we weren't getting enough uh, media on, on some of the big events, whether we, you know, qualification for the World Cup or, or something that happened with one of our clubs. So he was always defending the game. And I suppose these days the pleasing thing is I spend very little time defending the game these days because the game can defend itself. And I think many, uh, much of the work that Johnny Warren did uh, and also Les Murray and SBS and, and those guys who are still doing it really strong and probably aren't doing it as much these days, but uh, in the old NSL days, uh, they're the ones who really need the credit. I suppose what we'd like to do by way of a hot topic tonight is some sort of reflection on Johnny Warren. Uh, if you've got some, you know, uh, uh, memory of uh, of the thing he did or some moments where, you know, it just really uh, resonates with you about how he defended the game or, or how he uh, foretold the future. Of course, you know, the saying, I told you so, mm. was something that's still being used today. So I suppose some sort of reflection, given its 10-year anniversary of Johnny Warren's passing and the clubs will be uh, commemorating that this weekend, uh, I just thought it would be a, a really good time to, to do that tonight. It's a good hot topic for the SMS machine on 0433981116. And also we'll take your calls on 9429 uh, What are your Johnny Warren memories? We've had uh, plenty. We could probably fill an hour with that, but uh, uh, Johnny in Port Melbourne, great Australians, Goff and Johnny. Johnny's book was the best titled book of all time. <laughs> of course, that's Sheila's Wogs and Poofters. Yes, that's right. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, really, that was the era he was coming through. And I suppose, you know, that was probably, what, the 60s for him? Uh, and I was still experiencing that in the 70s uh, at primary school that uh, if you played soccer or football... Uh, in those days, you were you just weren't uh, a man. You weren't an Australian man. You were, you know, a, a wogger, a poofter. You know, <laughs> so uh, you know, I think that uh, is something that I, I really did uh, understand when he wrote that book. Yeah, my back three were called that by, a, <laughs> but I could never understand the problem. You were trying to work out what their nationality was at the time. <laughs> um, and we're here. We've got um, Bob in Tarnit saying, "R.I.P. Johnny Warren." And uh, yeah, thanks for those and zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Right, we'll uh, talk. Th- we'll talk about that right throughout the show. Just uh, the A League is commemorating Johnny Warren's tenth uh, year uh, anniversary of his passing this weekend. So look forward to seeing what they've got to do there. Hey, let's talk about uh, Ange Postecoglou and naming the twenty three man squad for the Japan Clash. Uh, of course, that's coming up soon. In um, of course, as a prelude to to the uh, Asian Cup. In January, so. Of course, I'll be there as the Diego's man on the spot 
You'll be in Japan. Uh, yes. what, what day was what? Um, uh, the 18th, Tuesday time? the 18th is the game. Well, I'm not worried about the game. I'm just worried about uh, when you're going to miss, <laughs> miss again. So make sure you put in your leave form. That'll be uh, our next uh, <laughs> next best show ever when and, I'm not on. Ange was, uh, did the press conference in Sydney today and, uh, you know, fielded a lot of questions about the fact that he's played, uh, what was it, 43 players in 11-odd games and uh, and uh, he's tinkering with the squad. Uh what are the main tinkerings, guys, of, of this squad that uh, you feel he's made this time around? Well, uh, Aaron Moy's made the cut, which is good, because I, I do like Moy, and I can see his potential, and there are certain, he's, he's great offset pieces. I'm not necessarily convinced that Moy is ready to go the next level. I guess he's got to get game time and cut his teeth, and so it, it might make sense to have him there. I suspect that... Uh, if, if Bresch isn't right, we, we, we need some sort of set-piece specialist and we need to get the ball to Timmy, I guess, because we, we do like... he's in He seems to be in a prong position, so Moy makes the cut. I'm just not um, sure that... I was a little bit surprised that he, he's made it so soon. There's a couple of boys there. Mitch Nichols is in the squad, uh, Matt Mackay, and Terry Antonis uh, got a call-up uh, showing some good A-League form. Yeah, well, I, I, look, I'm glad that they're, they're getting rewarded for how well they're playing. I mean, Terry Antonis has been called up a couple of times, mm. but he hasn't gone because of injury or whatever. But it's interesting, Antonis, um, Mitch Nichols, um, Aaron Moy, there's a, consist- there's a consistent theme through uh, the creative types. Yeah. Uh, and he may be that may be a suggestion that he he might not be happy with just having Mass Luongo as as a creative type midfielder. Maybe there's not enough depth there. Uh, maybe Tom Rogic not being available during the Asian Cup has really now opened up that spot for anyone with a creative bone in their body to be able to put their hand up now. Because um, yeah, that, that that they seem to be the players who uh, maybe Ange just think he's missing in the squad at the moment. Yeah, he's got a channel. Brendan Rodgers, Ange Postacoglu, and find a way to play to get the ball into the back of the net. I mean, I don't think everything, anything changes from the last squad to this squad. He is looking for midfielders that can actually maybe score goals. I mean, Terry Antonis is probably, he scored a great goal on the weekend. Cracking goal but, on the weekend. Um, outside of that, Moy is potentially threatening from set pieces, but doesn't score a lot of goals. Matt Mackay isn't that type of midfielder. So as much as they're looking for midfield yeah, creativity, Mitch Nichols is. Mitch Nichol probably is the one that can score the most goals because he's probably the most offensive of all those guys in terms of wanting to get into the box to try and score goals. And yeah, Ange knows him intimately. Yeah, so I think, I think that's still the concern for me. I mean, it's not so much how many goals I think your strikers are scoring by themselves of themselves alone in terms of what they create. It's it's the connection that they make in the midfield. And, I mean, I think the disappointing thing for Australia is, at the moment, the missing piece is if Tim Cale's not playing and if he doesn't score, where do we get our goals? And you'd probably think, okay, goals will come at home because we're at home and fans and stuff like that. But that's still the but, piece of the puzzle for me. But who, I mean... You might talk about Johnny Aloisi, uh, but who has scored in the last 10 years a lot of goals as a prong in the Australian side? Not many, and you probably find outside of Tim Cale, who really only has played as the number one prong most recently. Yeah, not many, and more of our goals have come from the Brescianos of the world right. and, and I, I, midfield attacking so players. I think, I think this idea that we need a, a prolific striker at the Socceroo level for us to progress, I, I don't think we've ever had a but, player like that. But I think... Even when Viduka was playing, he didn't score a lot of goals. The only thing I'd say is that, in saying that, 
we've always had an alternate striker on the bench that's been able to come on and provide a slightly different... Like, Josh Kennedy's probably that perfect example in getting the goal that got us through the World Cup. You bring him on, he scores with his head, he takes Tim Cale off. So that's the only thing that I would say is that maybe we haven't got the options other than Tim Cale. I mean, this seems like there's potential. You, you know, Cruz, you know... Lecky. Lecky, maybe, you know... My man, Urich, you know, there seems to be guys, but none of them are grabbing that opportunity. And I don't know whether, is it going to be the first goal that really gets them on their way, possibly? I'm not really sure. But that's, to me, the only thing I would say in the teams that we're playing, certainly the the bigger teams in this Asian Champions League, Korea and Japan have exactly the same issues as what Australia has in terms of putting the ball back in in the back of the net. I think the question we tend to keep asking about the Socceroos is if the goals don't come from Timmy, where are they going to come from? And we can see the promise. We can go forward. Lecky goes forward but doesn't always finish. Tommy Orr sometimes goes forward, doesn't always finish. And I guess... Fans probably want to have a little bit more assurance that uh, we can score goals from a from a number of positions. Even Bresch has has been has had a bit of a dry spell in front of goals, and he's he's had a few of our best chances in key games, and he's fluffed fluffed his lines a wee bit. So, but we're talking we're talking as if we've in the past we've had players who have scored a lot of goals for the Socceroos, and we haven't had that player. I mean, Tim will get a goal every couple of games. It's usually a scrappy goal. It's not usually anything that's... Uh, it might be a headed goal yes, or something. but Carlos, if it wasn't Tim in the past, it was it, it was Harry Kuhl. And if it wasn't Harry Kuhl, yeah, it, it could have been John Aloisi. I mean, if you, if you look and at all, maybe even yeah, Bresciano. At the, the moment, it's just, but the thing it is, seems to be the pressure's gonna, on Timmy. It's not going to take a lot for us to replace the the magnitude of the goals that were scored in the past because we didn't score a lot. If we if we if we won games, it'd be one nil or you know two one or something like that. So to find those goals in these in these kids that are improving all the time in a Lecky, for example, once Lecky gets a taste of scoring goals at that level, I think we all agree that he's a ten year Socceroo. Mm. Um, someone like a Robbie Cruz, he can score goals, but he just hasn't been able to get that run. He may may well have in the World Cup been that player. But, you know, we said the same thing about Scotty McDonald. Once he gets a taste no, for it, but the, Scotty, the floodgates will open. Yes, and they never. No, they Scotty's never... just not cut out for international football. Uh, he just he just whether the the team. You know he's a great club f- footballer. Scored a lot of goals at club uh, football as a as a as a poaching prong up the front. But to be a poacher in international football, unless you're dominating games, you're not going to be you're not going to get a lot of goals that way. That's why I think Scotty was never ever uh, cut out for international football. Robbie Cruz is, and and, and Robbie Cruz, if he, if he had gone to the World Cup, could have been that player that got himself a couple of goals for us. So, um, oh, look, I. I'm not as worried about this whole thing about who's going to replace Timmy Cale because I didn't think Timmy was so prolific. I know he scored a lot of goals for Australia, but, you know, he didn't score them in big bags that won us games all the time. And that's why I think, you know, this next crop of players, they're just got to open up those floodgates, like like Warren was saying before. We just got to open up those floodgates at one stage where they can, they know they can score at that level, and suddenly Cruz can get goals, Lecky can get goals. We'll get them from midfield. Um, you know, even Massimo Longo got in that last friendly. Uh, I think it was against Saudi Arabia in London, not the last one, but a, a friendly of a couple of games ago. Uh, even he um, got in the good goal scoring positions and could have got a couple himself. Yeah, I, look, 
I don't disagree. I mean, you know, with Brenton Sand- Brendan Sandalab having to have shoulder surgery, Nikita Rukovitsa, who's been signed with Western Sydney, he's going to get a decent run at it. Tommy Urich, I agree, Carlos, but longer term, in terms of qualifying for World Cups and having to go to places like Qatar and Saudi Arabia, we've actually got to find avenues to goal to get those three points away from home. Because like the last campaign, in getting those draws away from home, when we needed wins, put a lot of pressure on home form. And I think it's probably fair to say that some of those teams, Qatar and Saudi Arabia and the like, they're probably getting a bit better at being they're more just, competitive they're just, they're when just they go away They're just not scared of us anymore. No, no, they're not. They're scared of us anymore. And, but I think under Holger, I don't remember playing a good brand of football. No. Even away from home. Under Pimberbeek, we were awful. We so, were no. still getting results. But under Ange... When we go away to these teams... We'll look to score, I agree. And, and we'll look to play decent yes. football. And yep. that's how you beat these sides, by playing decent football. If you're going to put it in the mixer all the time, you're going to be combative against the Qataris and the uh, UAE uh, team and so forth. They're going to fight back. And that's, they're not scared anymore of us. Oman, they're not scared anymore of us. So you have to fight them by playing football. And that's what Ange is trying to do with this group. I think group. the one thing you'll see, Carlos, that you're right, and Ange made a point of saying there aren't any more friendlies after the Japan game. You really got the next two and a half years of proper qualification games. You might have the odd one before camps, before, you know. Mm. But the squad that you're going to see, the 23-odd man squad that's going to play an Asian Cup, is going to be a snapshot to what he considers is his best squad based on availability. You would imagine that those guys barring injury, are going to get a decent run at it. And they're the guys that are going to be going into these qualifications. Because remember, that first round's going to be some of the Asian minnows, maybe, but they're still hard to beat on their own dung heaps. And then the next level, you get, this time we drew, we you think about Uzbekistan and that that drew the, in the other group last time. There's going to be some very difficult away trips. We're going to probably draw... South Korea, Japan, maybe China, Uzbekistan. You're going to have to well, win we're, those we're games Well, we're due to get Iran again at yeah. some stage. Yep. So, you know, that for me, they're number one in Asia at the moment, and they play like that too. Uh, I'm, less, I'm less worried about Japan. We've played them so many times over the last five or six years that there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, familiarity there, to all that. There's but, a pattern to the way we yeah. play them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was going to say that uh, in, in, with respect to Holger, I, I think that the last Asian Cup where we made the final, I thought the Socceroos were playing really good football. And I'm really yeah. talking about more the World Cup qualifiers yeah. where we play away rather than that tournament type it thing. It changed for me. Yeah. It changed for me from that Asian Cup where they were fantastic in Qatar mm. to then the qualifications away. It almost changed into a tournament mindset, you know, we won't lose. I mean, not a tournament mindset, like a a league sort of thing. You know, two-legged playoffs. We don't want to lose away from home. We'll win at home. I think we've got to change it. That's the one good thing about Ange. It changes the mindset. He's going to go away from home, and he's going to look to get three points and take the pressure off home games because I think you're right. Asian teams don't fear us. They'll come to they Australia and they'll play mm. and think that they can get results. And his message today is it's going to take a bit of time, and, and this is the journey that he's on, that, uh, you know, he's, he's basically said that uh, he's trying to groom some players as many players as he can for the Asian Cup so that when he selects his squad, you know, most of them have had a crack already. Is there any danger that if we bomb out in the Asian Cup, say, for me, a bombing out would be quarterfinals or, or, or prior. That's bombing out. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a good semi-final performance and a loss, I'd accept. But if we don't get that, I think it's pretty much a failure by way of an Asian Cup. Is there any chance that Ange Postacoglu will lose his job? 
Well, I would only say this. I think if you want to look at where Tony Popovich is right now in terms of his development, you, you're almost going to certainly lose him overseas to an overseas club. Which would, I would be good say, for us. And I would think mm. that the powers to be would think that if Ange isn't the right man in Tony Popovich, they've got the guy that could automatically replace him. And really, it was just on... If you were saying like for like, Ange had the runs on the board that Popovich didn't have. Popovich has now got the runs on the board in exactly the same format as what qualification is for the Socceroos going to a World Cup. Home and away, setting teams up, being able to get results. So I would imagine he should come under pressure. Yeah, not I, sacking. Yeah, I don't think. I think you know performance review with unsatisfactory. <laughs> not, yeah. not, um, not a complete. So he, Mark he, he, he deserves a, to take him all the way to Russia. Well, I think he deserves to go after the to, to go for an, a period of time after the. Asian By the way, I'm not advocating for. No, no, you're I'm, asking I'm, the question. I'm asking the question no, no, because the, that question will be asked. Oh, it's been asked. Yeah. I think yeah. I think Ange knows himself that the expectations on him for this Asian Cup are bigger than the expectations on him were for the World Cup. And I think that uh, as long as uh, we continue to see improvement in that squad, it's going to bode well. But as you say, nothing short of a quarterfinal, maybe semifinal, will hit the mark for him. But just very quietly, whether he's Australian or not, David Gallup sets the standard. Qualification of the World Cup is everything. If Ange gets into a similar position that Holger Ossik got into and there was a perception that there was a chance of not qualifying, Ange would deserve to be treated exactly the same way as a previous coach, whether he's Australian or not. So I think it's all got to be about performance and where they sit, not necessarily who he is. Interesting topic and uh, one that we could have after the breaks. Let's take a break now on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. If each of you go out there and play the best game you'll ever play, if each of you play way over your head, if each of them plays the worst game they'll ever play, the worst game of their lives, we still don't have a chance. This has been a sad coaching moment by the four Diegos. On 1116 SEM, the Four Diegos. Anytime you go through a regeneration, and it's as stark as what we've done in other countries do, there's going to be a dip. There definitely is. Now, unfortunately for us, we were coming off a low base, so we're getting smashed at the moment, but it doesn't change the fact that you need to do this. There's Ange Postacoglu talking about, uh, you know, the selections uh, for the Japan game in a couple of weeks' time there, and... Uh, yeah, we've been talking about that and uh, talking about the uh, the dearth of forwards uh, for the Socceroos. Yeah, he's absolutely right. Like, uh, you know, he hasn't been saying it publicly, but I did hear it today where, you know, I think he was on uh, with half uh, on the run home and uh, he was talking about the fact that, you know, if he hadn't gone through this process where he used 43 players in the last 11 games under him and, and lost most of those games or, or at least very, only got two wins out of 11 or so um, during that time, if he hadn't done it then, when is he going to do it? Because he's got the Asian Cup coming up in January and then we virtually are straight into World Cup qualifiers. So there's not many games for him to experiment. So he needs to come to, up with the core of what he's going to be using for the last for the next six years. He has to come up with that now. 
and um, or for the next four years rather, uh, he has to come up with that now, and uh, and I think that's his reasoning behind it. And you know, it's funny when you get uh, commentators who we love, uh, Mark Bosnich, Robbie Slater, we just love those guys, uh, but those guys haven't been in the position where they've had to transition a national team like Ange Postecoglou has, and where depth hasn't been. It's been far more obvious than what it is now. I think the greatest challenge for Australian football in this period of time is to be is to look beyond the 10 or so players that you know are your best and actually unearth yeah. the next lot because they're not, you know, my mum used to use these silly rough diamonds. Where are the rough <laughs> diamonds? But where, are, where are they? We, they're not as obvious. You've got to actually be looking for them and saying, okay, we've got to pick you because Lungo is a, poss- a perfect example. Well, a, a great example was when Gus Hiddink, Plucked Luke Wilkshire yeah, out of the reserves at, res, reserves at Bristol City just before the 2006 World Cup, and he's ended up being one of our greats. Yeah, be interesting to see how the guys go uh, this weekend or this uh, this week marks the 10th anniversary of uh, Johnny Warren's passing, and the A League are going to commemorate uh, his passing with uh, some some symbols and some activities at the A League games this weekend. And Marty from Wangaratta wants to talk about Johnny Warren. G'day, Marty, and welcome to the show. G'day, boys. I'm a bit uh, nervous. Never rung up before. Oh, don't worry about don't it. Worry, You're friends here. So are we. Oh, I'm Catholic, <laughs> mate. And now I, I used to watch Mr. Warren, oh, Mr. Warren, on uh, SBS back in Tasmania. And the thing that uh, impressed me with him, he spoke about soccer or football, but he was the one who introduced the term football to mm. Australians. He did. And, and talked about um, football as... The beautiful game, not, uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah, look, I don't agree. Even though the great Johnny Warren calls it the beautiful game, I don't agree it's beautiful. But let's go back to the point before that, uh, him calling it football. I still remember that, good on you, Johnny, for calling it football, but they're never, ever going to call it football in this country. It's always going to be soccer uh, because, you know, uh, you know, the AFL call it football, rugby call it football, and they're just never, ever, but he kept on going on and on and on. And guess what? Um, with the exception of the age, <laughs> they still call it soccer. I think most of the media out there now call it football. AFL's not fighting it anymore. Um, people, you know, now when we refer to football on SEN, people know that we're talking about the round ball game. So uh, good on Johnny. I mean, really, when I had no faith that it would change, he certainly did. And Marty, as a first-time caller, it's great to have you on board. It's not unusual for Carlos to be critical of you, of anyone. I'm used to it. I know you, you started off really well. You made one little error by calling the game beautiful. I'm sorry it's for that. It's not an error. It's my opinion. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's right. and, and there's a lot of beautiful things in Wangaratta there, Marty, too, oh, yeah, by the way. Please so. call back, Marty. Okay, please, please call back. Excuse, excuse me. I live in Wangaratta. Name three things. <laughs> uh, actually, Marty, I'll go. Uh, the race course is really nice. <laughs> the, the golf course is great. No, I've had a winner at Wangaratta, Marty. Yep. I have. Yep. But my point being, at least we introduced the term to get people thinking. You need to have someone to do that. Yes, yep. you're right. You're that, absolutely that's, right. That, and yeah, that's that's a really he, good point. He there, was the agent for change yep. in the game, and he was on a mission. And that's why we're celebrating him. Thanks for your call, Marty. Really appreciate that. And as Warren said, please uh, call again. Because uh, your views are welcome here. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Carlos, Carlos isn't always on the show, <laughs> and he's not. A, yeah, actually, <laughs> I don't believe What's the next that the game is beautiful. I believe it's a great game. I love the game. I'm there passionate about the game, game, but it's not beautiful. It is not beautiful. It's ruggedly handsome. It, at least. Yeah. <laughs>
Oh, it's not beautiful. <laughs> no, it's... We spent all this money... FFA spent all this money with this beautiful game campaign. It's garbage. But Here we, go again. we love the let's, game. Let's not get on that. <laughs> we told him not we've to got talk somebody on hold uh, waiting from the UK. It's 18 minutes to midnight. <laughs> Let's go to the UK now and catch up with our man, who we haven't spoken to for a few weeks. It's Mike McGrath from the, the Sun in London. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Be a beautiful show. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're a beautiful journalist. Mike, Mike you, I know we've known, you, we've known you for many, many years, mate. You've grown up with the Diego's. You've, you're a fully-fledged top-line journo now in <laughs> world football over in the UK. In spite of the Diego You connection. know, when they call the game the beautiful game, do you agree with it? Do you agree with that term, that it's a beautiful game? And, uh, I think sometimes, you know, you, have, you, you become a bit cynical when you kind of eat and eat, sleep, drink football, and you become a bit cynical about the game. But then you see some goals and some games and some stories and great stories, you think, yeah, actually, it is a beautiful game. It's, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it, yeah, and that's why, that's why we love watching it. So I'm probably, yeah... I'm, I'm, I'm in the camp of, yeah, I'll call it a beautiful game. <laughs> okay, uh, I, Mike. Think, I think in summarising Carlos's cynical, Mike, you really summarised everything. And But um, <laughs> I'm wondering if Arsene Wenger would be cynical about the performance. Wasn't it – you talk about beautiful. Wasn't everything about the way Arsenal played initially beautiful and then everything that they did after the 60th minute was just typical of what – Arsene Wenger has dealt with really in the recent history of Arsenal. It just it it comes from nowhere. Maybe he makes some bad substitutions, but inexplicably, three goals in thirty minutes to get a draw at home after really fighting last week away from home to Anderlecht or in the last round of Champions League. It just really sums up Arsenal, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's kind of like the seasons that they have. Uh, where they start off really well, and people say this is this is it. You know that we're we're going to win the league for the first time in a long time, and then yeah, and then tail away and kind of bottle it as well. You know that last night was just a, a, a shocking result. You know, almost worse than a defeat. I think you know they get the points out of it, but to lose a three-goal lead kind of shows uh, shows where Arsenal at. And I thought the really worrying thing was. What Wenger said afterwards that they that they were tired, you know, at this stage of the season, <laughs> um, they should they should have a bit between their teeth and say, look, we can we we can give the Champions League a real shake shake up here, you know, give that a real go. To kind of see tiredness at this, you know, the fourth game there of the Champions League, I thought that was that was a real worrying sign. Mike, uh, the fans must be very very frustrated given that. Uh even Wenger, his substitutions were a little bit soft. He, he put on sort of two attacking plays instead of two defenders to sort of shore up that league towards the end of the game. Yeah, I, I mean, look, with Wenger, when it goes when it goes well, then no, <laughs> nobody questions your sub. But, uh, but when it goes badly and they're, left, uh, they're, they're, they're throwing away that lead, then obviously he's in the firing line. Um, I, I don't think they've got too many options full so I think that squad's quite you know, it's getting propped up by the likes of Sanchez. Uh, he's, he's played really well the last few weeks over here, which you, you guys have probably seen. Um, and Walcott's coming back. But I don't think that I don't think he's got a particularly strong squad where when you look at it compared to the other people who should be competing uh, uh, for the Premier League title. Now Mike, talking about 
selection, a team that's, I don't know, gone a lot of minutes without scoring actually a goal, Liverpool. Brendan Rodgers, it goes away. And the first thing I need to say is, if Real Madrid, Madrid have six gears, they were going in about <laughs> third gear. As much as Liverpool tried really hard, and some of their lesser-known players, I think, you know, did a reasonable job. I thought Luana actually probably showcased some of his talent that hasn't quite come to the surface. You leave Gerard, you leave Star, you know, Sterling, sorry, you leave Henderson on the bench, and supposedly it's around man, man management for the for the replay of the famous April 27th game in which Steven Gerrard slipped over against Chelsea, which to me absolutely has totally relevance with the way the Liverpool are actually going at the moment. They just needed confidence through playing well. Has he overreached this man management concept and undersold the Champions League? Or was he just being a pragmatic manager and looking at what his best opportunities are in terms of going forward? Well, I think a bit of both. I I think he was looking at the Chelsea game and he was looking at having the maximum effect uh, in that game and the games ahead as well. But I just think he was misjudged. He was misjudged because because Liverpool v Real Madrid is a historically fantastic European tie to the most successful teams in Europe. And I just think to throw in the towel like he did by resting those players, I think it was misjudged. Uh, misjudged the magnitude of the game. Um, as good as the likes of Mignolet and Torre played, I just think he should have shown a little bit more, um, I suppose, respect to that fixture. And, and that, that's my personal opinion um, on it. And, you know, people, uh, people have uh, travelled a long way to watch that game. And I just think he should have put out a much, much stronger team. And to, to play Raheem Sterling for 120 minutes in a League Cup game early in the season and then to rest, to rest him or put him on the bench for Real Madrid, to me that doesn't make sense. Um, so, look, it puts a lot of pressure on Saturday. Uh, they, they've got to get a result now after resting their big players. Now, Mike, um, watching the game this morning, the Real Madrid-Liverpool game, I just... Uh, I wasn't concentrating so much on Liverpool because for me they they were just it was damage control from the first minute and they was just trying to keep that scoreline down. But watching uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't get a lot of chance to watch him every week. But watching him in the game, he again was uh, in in the vein of Real Madrid, probably going at maybe you know second gear or something like that. He had a lot more gears in him. How far? I mean, my argument is that I think Diego Maradona is the best player we've ever seen. Uh, I've ever seen. He's probably best best player ever. Now, a lot of people who are a lot older than me would say that Palais up there and the Stefano and a lot of other great players. Uh, and I know uh, in more recent years, people have talked about Lionel Messi being the greatest player ever or will become the greatest player ever. How far is Cristiano Ronaldo from that now, if he's not already there? He's like a machine, that guy. And uh, it, it just seems like he's just a powerful player who's so motivated and so hungry to score goals, he's uh, he's uh, he's more than the goal a game. I think at Real Madrid, he's played hundreds of games there. Um, I just reckon he's just going to go down as probably the greatest player ever by the time he's finished. Yeah, I think definitely stats wise for Real Madrid and United before, it's incredible what he's done, and he's in my opinion the best best player on the, on the planet at the moment. I think I just think he's better than Messi. I would just love them to have a shot at the at the Euros 
in France or um, or maybe at the World Cup in 2018. Because I think that I think Maradona and Pele by winning the World Cup that sends you to a completely different level. And I think if he, I think because of Portugal's standing, I think even if he got to a final of a major tournament, I think then um, you know then we, we we talk about him in the same in the same uh, kind of category as those players. I think a, a, a difference between them and Ronaldo as well is the fact that I think Ronaldo could probably go on till he's about 40, just with sports science and the way that he looks after his body. Um, I think I think there could be another kind of decade of Ronaldo to come. I don't think just turning 30 means um, he's going to slow down much at all. Um, but I think, uh, for me, I just I just hope that he could really do himself justice in an international tournament um, uh, and do something on his own, almost like Zidane did when France were in the in the doldrums a few years ago, and, and he got them to that final on his own before he got headbutted. That, that's what I think he could do. Now, Mike Louis Van Gaal has. Um... David Moyes got anything to be a little bit upset about? I think uh, I think uh, Manchester United's worst start in the Premier League for maybe thirty years. Where's David Moyes at the moment? Is he shouting from the rooftop saying it isn't fair? It isn't fair. Short list on uh, Raul Sociedad's uh, coaching. Yeah, there you go. Job. So what's the? Does the table lie? Um, the table doesn't lie. They're you know. They're, they've got problems as they had last year, probably in you know, slightly different areas of the club. Um, they've got big problems at the back this season, and I think I think that Van Hal's reputation buys him time. He, he gets brought in with a huge reputation and also a job to rebuild, um, and that, I think that just buys him a bit more time. Uh, it's, uh, you know, compared to somebody else of a similar stature to Moyes coming in at this stage after one failed um, manager. I think, um, yeah, I mean, look, Moyes didn't have a great season, but I just think there's a bit more of a plan at United at the moment. It's, uh, they're a bit more uh, decisive in the transfer market, and they've got these great attacking players. They've probably got to do the same again in January to get defenders. Um, but like I said, I just think there's a bit more confidence about the place. I actually, you know, it will be all right this season or next. Definitely, Mike. It's all about the plan. And if he's uh, putting that to the board uh, nice and cleverly, then uh, he'll be fine. Uh, hey, Mike, uh, we need to uh, leave it there and uh, catch up with you again soon. See you soon, guys. There's Michael McGrath from The Sun in the UK. Always good to talk to he the thinks the game's the beautiful. Boys. He does. He does. And a lot of uh, our SMSs, Carlos. And we'll go through that after yes. the break because we need to take one now on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. I've had teams before that if you told them to go Route 1, they became monogamous. This has been a sad coaching moment by the four Diego's. On 1116 SEN, the four Diego's. Here on a Wednesday night and coming up after the Diego's, it's all night appetite uh, with Scott Cooney in from 12 till 6 doing the uh, mid-dawn and uh, doing it well. All night appetite right after the Diego's. Carlos, there's been a lot of... uh, a lot of discussion on the text messages. They're since pushing you, back. Since you definitely They're pushing, pushing back. back. It is the beautiful game, according to you. 
Um, John in Port Melbourne, Liverpool's one shot at the Bernabeu was beautiful football. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing beautiful about Stoke versus West Ham on a cold Monday night. True. There's a couple for you there, Carlos. It's intriguing, uh, yes. but not beautiful. The game absolutely is beautiful. The ups and downs, the agony and the ecstasy. That's it is beautiful bump. what it can do and give. That's a heart bump. Well, that's, that's beautiful. Nice. That's beautiful. That's yeah. a Diego heart bump. <laughs> Daniel, it is beautiful, like Carlos's hairstyle. They must have got on the on the uh, website. Yeah, for Diego's yeah. Yeah. Daniel, he's parting it now. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. So. Uh, yeah, we've also, um, Davey in Cranbourne wrote in about Johnny Warren. My memory of Johnny Warren was of a truly polite, humble gentleman. Yeah. And that's how most of us uh, remember him. Hey, uh, before we go, we, we, have, we haven't talked about uh, the big dummy spit from Al-Hilal, uh, who, of course... Literally. Yeah. Literally, yes, yeah, yeah, pardon yeah. the pun, um, who have gone to... They were uh, crucified, weren't they? they, they, they were. <laughs> I mean, I, really, I mean, I, I would slam them for the behaviour after the game, but if anyone was going to be provoked... <laughs> In a final, in front of their own crowd, there were at least—I mean, they're calling. Th- they said there were seven clear-cut penalties, but there weren't. But there were two, definitely. Any referee in the world would have given it. And I don't know what the hell that Japanese referee was doing. I'm glad the West Sydney Wanderers benefited from it, but I'm telling you, there was so, they were so clear-cut that it was a, pretty much a joke of world football. He's in our witness protection as we speak, <laughs> I know, Carlos. I, know. I think um, Tony Popovich in 20 years' time over a quiet beer will say if that game was played 99 times out of 100, we would have lost 5-0. But on the one time that it wasn't. And in the end, it was it was almost... It, was it fate that they won? But it was almost like the way it went. The longer it went, the more likely they yeah, were but to if, win. But really, I mean... Usually you get those games and the teams sort of stonewall, they park the bus and they fight and scratch. And But there were obvious penalties. Yeah, the two. The two in particular. Oh, when when, when, the, when uh, Ante Kovic went to ground mm. and the player went over the top yeah. and did the flip, you know, triple somersault over the top of him, that's given every time around the world. I mean, we saw it with Kamau during the yeah, week. that's right. Uh, with Melbourne City last Friday. And uh, and then the handball, the Sandland handball, where he's had his hand just hanging out there oh, to, yeah. to dry. Uh, that was a clear cut. <laughs> yeah. Clear cut. Not sure FIFA will do anything. Maybe maybe no. they will. Hey, guys, a question I've always wanted to ask off the SMS, uh, but never been brave enough, uh, from Dave in St Kilda. Why are you guys called Four Diegos? <laughs> are your names Diego? Hashtag brave challenge. Um, well, these are our real names. These are our real names. We've been to Ancestry.com and yes, found yeah. that we have a line, a lineage, yeah. to the great Diego Maradona. <laughs> I, I'm, I, for example, am from the Venezuelan yes. line of yeah, Diego's. Yeah. I'm from the Tasmanian yeah. line of yeah. Diego's. I'm from the Buenos Aires yes. uh, line of the Diego's. And, uh, of course, we're all... Uh, are we offshoots from his love? Where his loved children, or we don't like to talk about? Yeah, that. that's right. Um, yeah. We're the, yeah. we're the side of the family that they don't talk about. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, that's uh, right. Yeah. yeah, we actually all came together through Find My Family that show <laughs> many years ago, twenty one years ago, and we've never, we've been inseparable yeah. since. Yes, yeah, so there you go. Uh, that, that's why we're called the Four Diego's yeah. after the great man because that we cleared a lot up. Actually, I'm yes. sure it did. Of course, Warren, you're from the Tasmanian yes, Diego's. That's, that's right. Yeah, no, that's right. The Tasmanian. I'm that's actually right. adopted. Now, right. I don't know quite how yeah. that works. Because Cause, cause I'm Diego. the adopted brother of love children. Not, not many people, not many people know this, but Diego Maradona did do a student exchange in, right. in Tasmania. That's right. 
<laughs> and oh. then, yeah, so I'm an adopted love child of a love child. Well, yeah. there you go. There you go, uh, Dave. That's terrifying. Brave challenge. Yeah. Thanks for taking the challenge, Dave in St Kilda. Let's, uh, that's it for this week's show. Don't forget All Night Appetite with Scott Cooney after the break. We'll be back next Wednesday. So remember, Carlosh. Wherever Puerto Rican girls hang out, we'll be there. Wherever you samba, rumba, and la bamba, we'll, we'll be, be there. there. Wherever there are girls with fruit on their head and balls at their feet, we'll, we'll be, be there. Wherever gringos play football, we'll, we'll be there. We are the